All right. Well, we are going to uh, be um, switching things up a little bit over the next few weeks as we draw closer to Easter. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to expand it a little bit, and we're going to look at some of the events preceding Jesus' death. And today we're going to be looking at the Saturday night before Jesus' triumphant entry, which we typically think of as like Palm Sunday. And so um, something hap special happens on the Saturday night before that. And at first, no one but Jesus really understands the real meaning of it. And it's not until much later that the significance of this uh, event is kind of explained. People start to make sense of it. But Jesus gets it, and he loves it. And Jesus actually says that what happens in this moment will be proclaimed wherever the gospel is proclaimed around the world. So what is it that Jesus loved? What is it that Jesus praised? Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles or follow along on your phone or uh, with, on the screen behind me to Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, you see what I'm talking about here. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13 read, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, though, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Father in heaven, we ask that you would strengthen us so that we can hear and see what Jesus saw in this moment as Mary anointed him. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive the love that you have for us and the courage to respond like Mary. In your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. So here's, here's what you need to know about this uh, event that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It's also recorded in the Gospels of Mark, in Mark chapter 14, and in John 12. And John names this woman as Mary. Now, Jesus has a few disciples named Mary. This is not Mary, his mother. This is also not Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had restored and set free from demonic oppression. This Mary was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is the Mary that Luke, in his gospel, describes as deciding to sit before Jesus' feet to hear him teach. So Mary and her siblings, uh, Martha and Lazarus, they lived in Bethany. Bethany was this village on the southern, uh, southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, about uh, maybe three kilometers away. If you're trying to make reference of that and you're terrible with what that even means, Think of being here and walking almost to Metrotown. And, and that is basically the distance, right? So when you stand out on the front entrance here and you look and you see those towers around Metrotown, that's the distance from Bethany to Jerusalem. Now, in John chapter 11, Lazarus, Mary's brother, is sick. And they actually call for Jesus to come and help heal him. Jesus doesn't come. Lazarus dies. And when Jesus finally does arrive to Bethany, everyone is mourning. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha comes out to Jesus and says, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
And after speaking with Martha, he asked her, where's Mary? Mary had stayed in. So Martha goes and tells her, and Mary comes out, and she sees Jesus, and she falls at his feet and begins to weep. She says the same thing Martha said. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then John tells us that Jesus saw her weeping and everyone else around her weeping. And it troubled him, and he actually started to cry as well. Jesus proceeds to pray and bring Lazarus back to life. And as we draw near to Easter, I think Mary's action, not just in that moment, but what we're, gonna, what we're looking at today, where she anoints Jesus, are important for us to consider. And I want to highlight four observations that you can see in this moment. I wanted to give us a bit of an idea of who is Mary, what do we know about her from Scripture, but what is it that Mary is doing in this moment? And I think there's these four things that I want to highlight. One is Mary's attention is focused on Jesus. We see that Mary came to Jesus. This is the feast, this is the banquet, other people are there, but Mary is not concerned with the other guests, she's not even concerned with Lazarus, who's also there. It's Jesus that she's here for. She's intentionally and purposefully focused on him. She's not interested in what others will think of her for what she's about to do. And it may come to her mind, but it's actually not determining what she's going to do. She is caught up in the presence of Jesus. And in a world prone to letting others influence how we behave, Mary's anxious, uh, actions are influenced solely by Jesus and his presence. She is living for an audience of one. Secondly, Mary pours out her most valued possession on Jesus. We read that she came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and poured it on his head while he was reclining. In the first century, a host would sometimes pour a little bit of oil on a guest's head. And this would enhance the feast as this beautiful fragrance would fill the room. Here's the thing, though. Mary doesn't use the typical oil you would have and use on a guest. Instead, she uses this expensive perfume oil. This was the kind of uh, perfume or oil that was used for special acts of devotion and for burials. And it was so valuable that it was worth about a year's worth of an average worker's wages, which comes to the equivalent of about $12,000 at the time. So this was a ton of money. This isn't something you could just come up with really quickly. This was something that was so valuable that uh, some scholars think that it was likely a family heirloom. You just can't come up with that kind of money that quickly. This was precious to Mary. And so pouring this oil out on Jesus was this extravagant and staggering act of devotion. Now, what's something that you treasure in your life? It might be your home, your favorite coffee spot, a, a beach or a forest you love to go for runs in or walks in. It could just be your phone because you just do everything on it and it's just precious to you. You are like Gollum with your phone. Maybe it's a relationship. We all have things that we treasure. What Mary does is she takes her most treasured possession and pours it out on Jesus. And she doesn't just kind of pour out a little bit. It's not just a trickle. Just a little bit on his head. John tells us that she actually anoints his feet. And Mark tells us that she broke the jar, meaning she had every intention of using all of it on Jesus. All of it. Third, Mary devotes herself to Jesus. 
John tells us that, quote, she poured it on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. There wasn't a single person in the room who would have not understood what she was doing. They wouldn't have been able to ignore what was happening. And imagine with me, all of your senses are just drawn in to this moment. Sitting before you is Jesus, the guest of honor. And this woman, Mary, comes before him. And you can feel this tension in the room begin to increase as you watch Mary break this alabaster jar and anoint Jesus' head and feet. And then she begins to unwrap her hair and while she's on her knees, wipe his feet with her hair. And as that's happening, you hear this muttering in the room as disciples start to pass judgment on what she's doing. All the while, every breath you take, you just smell this beautiful fragrance that is filling the room. There's more, though. New Testament scholar Kenneth Bailey notes that typically in the traditional Middle Eastern society, a bride on her wedding night would finally let down her hair and allow it to be seen by her husband for the first time. So what Mary does is pretty um, staggering here. Everyone in the room would have understood, uh, understood that Mary, by wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, was making this expression of loyalty. Jesus was actually expected to be shocked, and ex at, shocked at her exposed hair and feel embarrassed over Mary touching his feet. More than that, Jesus is supposed to stop her and reject her actions. See, Mary was making a courageous and ultimate promise of devotion to Jesus. Her allegiance to Jesus will supersede her allegiance to everyone else. Fourth, Mary's act of devotion is a revealer of hearts. Mary's act of devotion is a revealer of hearts. When we see someone devoted to their craft or to a person, our reaction to that reveals our heart. It reveals something about us. It reveals what we believe is important. We might pass judgment on them. Maybe we think that devotion's misplaced. We might think, actually, that's really impressive. For example, anybody here outside of me love basketball? Joel, you don't count. Joel also loves basketball. No, okay, so you probably all know, though, LeBron James. You know the name right? He's a 37-year-old superstar, one of the faces of the NBA. He's been in the league for 19 years. He is no spring chicken, okay? The average NBA career is four and a half years in the NBA. Four and a half years. His career is 19 thus far. He's likely, when he retires, assuming he stays healthy, He'll probably have the record for playing the most seasons in NBA history. He'll also probably finish with the most uh, career points of anybody else in the NBA. Most players hit their prime in their mid-20s till right about 30, and then there's a steep decline in uh, their productivity. Here's the weird thing about LeBron. He hasn't done that. Now, LeBron's not even my favorite player. I'm just using him as an example here. Okay, but he has not done that. He has basically been living in his prime for most of those 19 years. He's still producing right now at a remarkable rate. He's leading the league in scoring at, at the age of 37. Why? Well, you might just say, well, he's just got some crazy God-given talent and some luck with a few injuries. Maybe. It's probably some of that is true, actually, that he hasn't gotten uh, very injured or the injuries he's had haven't taken him out for too long. 
But one of the reasons for his ability to, to play this long is the amount of resources that he has put into taking care of his body. He is reported to spend $1.5 million a year on his body. This includes his, uh, his home gym, trainers, massage therapists, chefs, their appliances, and all these different things that he uses to help his body recover immediately following games in the off-season. $1.5 million a year. You might be saying, like, oh, that's ridiculous. Relative to the rest of his career, you see that it, it's an investment that he sees, right? But some of you hear this, and that's offensive. It's offensive that someone would spend $1.5 million a year on their body. You could use that money for so many other things. Others of you are like, that's impressive, man. No wonder he's able to play for 19 years. See, devotion is a revealer of our hearts. It reveals what the one devoting themselves cares about, but it also reveals what you and I care about. The way we look at it, how we judge it. Devotion exposes what you love, what you care about, what you believe matters. And this is what happens when Mary pours out this oil on Jesus. Each gospel actually tells us something about this event. Mark will say that some people are thinking it was worth more than a year's wages. This could have been sold and the proceeds were given to the poor. Matthew tells us that it's the disciples whose priorities are misplaced. They're saying, look, they're like thinking in a pragmatic and conventional way. Or they're like, why this waste? This, what she's doing is actually wasteful. It could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. John tells us specifically that Judas says that same thing. But Judas isn't genuine in his thoughts and his expression. See, greed rules Judas's heart, and he regularly helps himself to the money that is actually given to Jesus' ministry. And Judas is supposed to be one of the 12. Do you notice something at work here in this portrayal that we're getting of this event? All of these people who are listed are people who keep company with Jesus. This should be a warning to you and I that you can be a follower of Jesus, you can keep company with his people, and you can still have greed ruling your heart. You can still operate with misplaced priorities. What we fail to see is that all the other disciples, including the 12, are not doing what Mary is doing. It's not Peter, the passionate one, who said Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's not James or John. Those three were the closest disciples of the 12. None of these guys are doing that. In fact, none of them can even imagine doing it. See, you can misunderstand someone else's beautiful act of devotion and gratitude and simply see waste. You don't see it for what it is. It's wasteful to you. Why? Because it seems pointless, unnecessary, too costly financially. See, when you have something else that is precious to you, when you have something that matters to you, and you see someone doing what Mary does, it's almost offensive to you. And your lips might say one thing, but your thoughts and, and, and actions reveal another. Now, it would be a mistake to look at what Mary does and only think about money, the cost here, about what it's worth. This is about what is most precious to you and I. 
If you want to know what you treasure most, ask yourself, what is it that you want? Just ask yourself, what is it that I want? What's the thing that I give most attention to on a daily basis? What's the item or outcome that I have set all of my hopes upon? What's the outcome that determines whether or not I will be joyful today? Those are things we treasure. Those are things that are precious to us. And so for some of us, it's our image. We carefully craft how we look, speak, the things that we post to convey a certain image to others. Others of us, it might be this sense of control. We, stay, we try to stay in a realm of uh, ideas so that we're never in a situation where as we're trying to do something, we feel like we have no control. We'll often be thinking about money and how much money we have or planning everything out or trying to know everything about a topic so that we never feel that discomfort of not having a sense of control. It may be having a sense of maintaining a sense of comfort and wanting things to be easy, distracting ourselves as soon as we get home. It can be so many different things. It can be a relationship. It can be our sexuality. It can simply just be making sure that we always get what we want. And it's not simply the things that you and I will say are valuable with our words. It's often the things that our actions, the time we spend, the things that we do communicate. Those things reveal what we care about as well. And Mary, in this passage, is saying, what is most precious to me is Jesus. He is the audience that she is concerned with pleasing. It's this radical act of loyalty that she demonstrates. And it's financially and socially costly. In fact, other disciples of Jesus don't even appreciate what she's doing. She is publicly announcing her devotion to Jesus. Now, why does she do this? You think through all these different things she's doing. She's fixing her attention on Jesus. She is pouring out this most valued possession upon him. She is declaring this act of devotion. It's actually revealing other people's hearts, and it's not very like kind, their reactions to her. Why is she doing this? Why is this something that she feels she must do in this moment? That's the question that I was thinking through as you, as you look at this passage. And I think one of it is Mary believed Jesus really was the Messiah or Christ. Christ literally means anointed one. The Christ was this one who was anointed by the Spirit of God to rescue God's people and restore all of fallen creation. The Messiah would bring God's good and righteous and gracious rule, peace on earth. He would set the captives free. He would heal the blind, giving sight to them. He would heal the sick. He would push back darkness, defeat evil. The coming of the Messiah meant God's peace, wholeness, joy, forgiveness would become a reality for all who lived in his kingdom. And it wasn't just for Israel. It was actually for the world. Mary is recognizing his kingship. The kingdom of God had really come in Jesus. He was king. Kings were anointed with oil. That alone is a good reason to anoint Jesus. Mary's anointing of Jesus is this recognition of who Jesus really is. You're the king. I'm riding with you. You're the real deal. But I think another reason is that Mary really experienced the love of Jesus. At the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us at the birth of Jesus that his birth was a fulfillment 
of the words of Isaiah, where the Messiah would come and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary must be recognizing, like, when I'm with him, I feel as if I were standing before God in all of his love and grace. It's as close as the air that I breathe. She knew Jesus was king, and this king was love embodied. Mary knew Jesus loved her, and he cared about her. John says as much in John chapter 11. He says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary not only knew this, she had experienced his care and love and seeing him weep over Lazarus and then raising him to new life. Jesus was for her. She didn't just hear that, she knew that, she believed that. And her act of devotion, of love, is possible because Jesus loved her first. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he loved us, first loved us. Mary experienced this love and responded to Jesus with her own act of love and devotion. You can't love him first. He will always be the first to love us. You cannot out-love him. That classic uh, passage that we think of, John 3.16, where God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. It's rooted, that act, in the love of God. Love is always giving itself away. So it makes sense that Mary would be so impacted by the love of God that she would actually want to give herself away, this alabaster of oil away. It's staggering and borders on the side of worship. And so how does Jesus react to this moment? How does Jesus react to what Mary does? We know how the disciples react. We know how Judas will. What does Jesus respond? And what does it reveal about his heart, what he cares about? He should be embarrassed. He should be rejecting this act. But Jesus defends her. Jesus says, why are you bothering this woman? Jesus goes up to bat for Mary. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus loves it. But what's his reason for this thing being beautiful. Jesus says, kind of a weird line, right? It says, the poor you will always have with you. Um, you, you can't be saying the poor don't matter, Jesus. That doesn't make sense with all these other things we know about you. The poor don't matter? No, that's not it. Jesus here is talking about priorities. This is not an excuse to avoid helping the poor or because it appears that poverty is an insurmountable challenge, no, Jesus cares deeply about the cause of the poor. He goes on to explain, you will not always have me. And that's vital for us to understand. He's saying, while I'm here with you, these gestures are entirely appropriate. And then he interprets her actions for everybody to hear. Mary's anointing me with perfume. She has prepared my body for burial. She's giving me the honor that I'm not going to receive when I'm crucified. In fact, Jesus loves it so much that he says in verse 13, Truly I tell, you who, uh, I tell you, whoever this gospel is preached, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The reason why Jesus defends Mary and calls her actions beautiful 
is because Mary's devotion actually mirrors Jesus' utter devotion to his Father and to us. Mary doesn't realize this. And see, that's often what happens when we devote ourselves to Jesus, when we worship him. We don't actually recognize that there are things happening in the unseen. But Jesus in this moment is actually pulling back the veil and giving us a picture that her act is prophetic, that there's actually more going on than we realize. When Mary pours out all of her affection, all of her treasure in this alabaster jar onto Jesus, she is operating in the way that God will for us in Jesus. Just a few days later, Jesus will tell his disciples in this last meal in Matthew 26, he says, he'll take a cup and give thanks for it and give this cup to his disciples and say, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. My blood will pour out for the forgiveness of many. In Isaiah 53 Verse 12, this is this, uh, this passage that speaks of the suffering servant, the Messiah, who will come. And it says that he poured out his life unto death for us. Why? For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, God sees what Mary does and he rejoices in it. Because it is this picture of what he loves to do for his people, for his creation. He will pour himself out. God spared nothing to redeem us. He kept nothing back. He offered up his life in Christ. He poured it out. And when you and I actually put our trust in him, Paul will write in Romans 5, verse 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Mary pours out her precious alabaster on Jesus, but Jesus will pour out his life, his love, and grace onto us through the cross. Her actions in this moment mirror his. Her actions point to what his will for us is. Leslie Newbegin was this British theologian and missionary, and he writes this. He says, the love of the Savior is met and mirrored for a moment by the love of the one he came to save. That's what's going on here in this moment. This is why Jesus loves it. The love of Jesus is met and mirrored for this moment by the love of this one, Mary, he came to save. Mary's actions then become this prophetic picture of what the church will do for Jesus. Newbegin will say, Mary is the forerunner of the believing church, which will in time come to pour out in all the world its works of love, flowing from hearts broken at the place of Jesus' sacrifice. Mary's love and devotion in this moment mirrors the constant and everlasting love and devotion of Jesus. And this is why Jesus loves what she does. This is why Jesus expects that her story will be tell, told wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Because Mary's response is actually the call of every single disciple. And that's Ultimately, I think what this passage points us to, it points us to Jesus' death. It's coming. But there's invitation for the disciples of Jesus to respond in the way that Paul will write in Romans 12, where he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. And as we draw near to this Easter season, we must see the mercy of God in Jesus. We must look at what it actually reveals about who God is and what he is doing. And we must pour out our life to him as an act of worship. See, the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, reveal that God has gone all in for us. He's fully committed to our good. And we are invited to go all in with him. That we don't hold back what is most precious to us. In fact, we make Jesus and his way more precious than anything else. And ultimately, that's what worship is. It's this adoring response of a human being with all that they are to the revelation of who God is and what he has done in Jesus. But if you don't see his mercy, you won't pour yourself out. You won't worship. You have to see his mercy. Because this kind of devotion that you and I get called into will be misunderstood. It will be seen as a waste of your money, your time, your skills, your best years. This kind of devotion will lead us to places of obscurity. Not to fame, but to unknown obscurity. Not to where many people know our name, but where, where we're known by a few. And where we encounter and share the love of God. This kind of devotion causes us to be so dependent on Jesus, we feel stretched beyond our own capacity. We feel like we put our reputations on the line. This kind of devotion goes against the grain of our world. If you don't see his mercy, you won't do it. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, and it's giving us what we don't deserve. Romans 5, 6 tells us, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you see his mercy... You can fully believe that God is for you. Romans 8, 31, Paul will write, Look, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? Paul will go on to say in verse 38, For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And where that is given to us, revealed to us, made known to us is the cross. This is why Jesus loves what Mary does, because it's ultimately pointing to what he will do for us. And when we see it, we can actually pray and say what Paul writes in these words here. That he is actually for us, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
you know what? There are enough Christians in our world who teach the truth about Jesus while surrendering the way of Jesus. They could teach it. They can make it known. But then when it comes to actually how we live it out, that part is just like put somewhere else. There's enough of those. And many of them are being exposed and will continue to be exposed. We don't need more Christian influencers. We don't need more people who are great at talking about it but actually don't know how to live it at all and don't really want to live it. We don't need more of that. We need Christians who live out a vision of Jesus' mercy and respond by turning their life into an alabaster of oil that is poured out onto this world as an act of worship. And you know what? This is uh, scary, costly, difficult, all of those things. We won't always get it right. But one of the things that Jesus promises when we do this is that a life of worship will not be wasted. And it will not be forgotten. He sees those things that we do. We don't do, need to do it for anyone else. Other people might understand it, but he sees it and it is not wasted. And it will not be forgotten just as his death was not wasted. So, is Jesus your most treasured possession? What would your day, on a, like if you look at your schedule, or if you kind of looked back and looked at how did my day go, what would your day actually say about the things you value most in life? If I'm honest with you, there are things that are revealed where I'm like, man, I would never say that's what I value, but clearly my actions are saying I do value that. Will you and I get a chance 